Greetings, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast, episode number 123, with Karthik Krishnan of MentorWorks, a really interesting organization, kind of a financial ed tech uh, organization working to support students with alternative uh, financing models for their college education, uh, really any higher education. Uh, so income chair agreements, uh, mentoring, career support, uh, just really interesting, innovative stuff. Uh, really grateful to have the opportunity to talk through it uh, with Karthik. And uh, additional note, there is a sale going on starting tomorrow, April 22nd, uh, for a few days on the merch store. So definitely go check that out. Uh, really cool stuff there. Just added a, a new design. Uh, so uh, really appreciate the support of the show there and uh, appreciate you uh, for listening to this episode number 123 with Karthik Krishnan. All right. I am super excited to have this conversation. Uh, something that came about uh, some networking that happened at the recent uh, virtual South by Southwest EDU uh, conference that I was really excited. I got the opportunity to be a mentor at. Um, so this is a byproduct of that. And so I'm super grateful to have some time to talk through mentor works and uh, all that is entailed with their efforts uh, in the education space here. But uh, we will start out as we always do. Uh, Karthik, if you want to uh, introduce yourself and give a brief overview of your professional journey and how you got to be where you are today. Yeah, thanks, Dustin. Uh, and thanks for having me here. Uh, my background is in higher education. So uh, I have a, a doctorate in finance from Boston College then uh, came over to Northeastern University for a tenure track job, um, after which, you know, uh, you, you, you get tenure and then uh, apparently you search for the meaning of life. Uh, but in, in, that, in that time, I have taught over 2,000 students. Um, I've written articles about uh, student loans um, and how it impacts uh, individuals' financial uh, and personal outcomes uh, in careers and such, uh, which kind of motivated me to well, figure out how we can set up a uh, education financing platform that can work for the student. Um, and so started MentorWorks in late 2016 uh, and, and had a great ride so far. So, and then here I am. So that's kind of a little bit about my professional journey um and uh, and and really excited to uh, we're a mission oriented organization so we're really really excited to create a framework uh that uh, uh helps students uh, both through financing uh but also with the providing social capital and and I'll talk a little bit more about that but uh but that's who we are we're a social impact company with a real focus on helping students do well get the skills that they need and find jobs yeah, it's great stuff. I mean, I, I met with a colleague of yours uh, at the conference through that mentoring, and I just found the work that you all are doing just really compelling and excited to talk more about it and share it out with the world through uh, this show here. Um, you know, uh, and I guess, you know, we'll start there just really quickly, too. Just if you want to explain a bit more about mentor works, I mean, just maybe how it came to be or, you know, just, uh, you know, a little bit more detail about the work that you do uh, with the students that you support and everything. But yeah, we could just uh, give a little bit more detail and then we'll we'll go on from there. Sure. The genesis of MentorWorks was really kind of some of the uh, uh, past work that I've done is on, you know, how, for example, startups are financed uh, and how early investors come in, you know, and fund these startups and then help them do well, you know, by providing advice, expertise, connections, whatnot. 
And, you know, uh, being in, in that space, uh, having done some research in that area, as well as uh, uh, having done uh, research in the education finance space, it was really more of a melding of uh, different spaces that uh, brought mentorworks into being. So, the it was really an extrapolation of the notion that well, if these if these investors can do can can fund these startups and help them with uh, support structures, uh, can we not do the same thing uh, with uh, individual students and fund and support them? And that was really the genesis of this. Um, obviously, at that time we were starting out, we did not know what an income share is. Uh, at that time, Purdue had just started out its own ISA program, so it was it was kind of uh, a great time to be thinking about this uh, because it provided some validation that you know this can happen. Uh, but but I think what we started out with was this fundamental notion of fund and support. We we always wanted to be kind of a partner with a student to uh, to fundamentally ensure that they do well and if they don't do well we first of all don't penalize them with uh, 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 payments uh, that they have to make on their financing and secondly we help them uh, get ahead in life uh, we have a careers platform that i'll talk about as well so so that was kind of the the starting point of all this you know over the last uh, three four years we have been working to put it all together and uh, I'm happy to say that, you know, I think we've done a pretty good job. Uh, overall, we have scaled to a point where we are really uh, at, at a place where we expect to grow really fast uh, at this point. Uh, more importantly, the impact that we've had through our platform has been very substantial. So as an example, uh, students that we have funded have experienced a 126% increase in their income since we funded them. Our platform has a majority of minority students, you know, and we have built a pretty robust career support system. We call it the Talent Accelerator Platform, where anybody can sign up and they can seek advice on, uh, hey, how do I improve my career outcomes? How do I build a career strategy? And we have uh, experts on our team who have built this out. And anybody who takes an ISA with us gets access to this. We Mm -hmm. then interface our students with employer partners and then, uh, you know, make sure that they get the visibility, right? I mean, if you think about a lot of the low-income students uh, who don't have the family connections to, say, pick up a phone and get an internship or get an interview, uh, we kind of fill that role here for a lot of our students. Um, and, and, you know, let me step back a bit and talk a little bit about the financing piece, right? I mean, the financing piece is uh, income share agreements, which uh, has been covered a lot in the press. Um, but I think for us, it's, it's, it's part of the solution uh, alongside our career support. But an income share agreement at the very core is uh, a student pays a percentage of their income for a fixed amount of time. Uh, if they do not have sufficient income, they don't make any payments. So uh, below a minimum income level, uh, they don't have to make a payment, and that's not a default. Uh, if they do really well, there's a cap on the total payments they make. And plus, we have uh, early payment options where they pay even less. Um, so we have kind of created a financing model that creates a number of protections uh, for our students. Um, and you know, this is a model that's much more forgiving. For example, if you did not have a job and were unable to pay, it's 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 not a ding on your credit credit history uh, because it's part of the part of the agreement. Um, 
The other benefit is interest does not accrue and capitalize it. You don't keep adding your interest, unpaid interest onto the balance. And and that, you know, uh, particularly for minority students have been, uh, have been, has been particularly burdensome because it increases their principal amount and the time, uh, time to maturity of these loan agreements. And finally, I think one of the big uh, uh, advantage that many people don't talk about about ISAs is that income share agreements are much more progressive, whereas uh, loans are not in that in the sense that if your income goes down, your your percentage of income you're paying on a loan actually increases uh, because your income is going down, your payment is fixed, right? Whereas in an income share agreement, if your income goes down, your percentage of income is is fixed. So uh, in in that sense, an ISA is much more progressive as well. So it's a much more protective form of financing uh, than, you know, a a similar uh, loan agreement. Yeah. I mean, they they definitely make a lot of sense in terms of just kind of a suite of options for students to finance their degrees and uh, especially just with the additional support that you give because... I just haven't really heard of anybody working in that way to be so active uh, in this process for students where, you know, there are a lot of financing options out there, but it is kind of just like, okay, checks in the mail kind of thing, like good luck. And, uh, you know, kind of who knows what happens to that student uh, uh, after that point in terms of their persistence and uh, success and graduation and, you know, career outcomes and everything. So I think it's just, that's why I think it was so compelling to me of, of how you all are coming at this and really trying to, uh, support the students who, like you said, just don't have the connections or resources perhaps to uh, navigate higher ed in the same way that others who aren't, you know, from those backgrounds and, you know, the, the people who are first generation and all that, like they kind of just are figuring it out as they go. And I think if there's just somebody, you know, who's there to just be a helpful guide and kind of coaching from the sidelines, uh, you know, to give help as it's needed, just is hugely beneficial. And like you said, I mean, that, that's just a really way to kind of to frame it in terms of uh, how an ISA can be a uh, really compelling and useful option for uh, for students to consider. So um, I guess you already kind of spoke about this, but I think, uh, you know, maybe it kind of bears repeating or just sort of like, uh, I don't know, any any further elaboration, but just like, you know, there, there are just so many problems with the current kind of uh, financing options for college students and especially the one like you said of like you're struggling to repay and there's all this interest and it's just compounding and growing and like you're you're you know a lot of people often like will say like yeah i've been making my payments for however long and the balance is just as much or larger than it was when i started or something like that so um i don't know if there's just more you want to elaborate on there in terms of like the financing piece and uh, and then we can kind of move on to uh, some other stuff yeah absolutely i think the uh income share agreement framework uh it does two things one is now that i've funded a student with an isa you know i've effectively kind of tied my fate with the student's fate right this is you know student debt uh, is effectively non-dischargeable. So one way or another, you're getting paid back. But in an income share agreement, it's, uh, you know, if a student doesn't do well, you know, the funder, you know, is is not going to do well. It's 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 an it's an incentive mechanism. So uh, I'm, I'm a financial economist. So I, I like the notion of incentives. So the student has somebody who's, who's, whose outcomes are tied to their outcomes. So now I have every incentive in the world to, to help that individual do well, and we, this is the thesis we always kind of, we liked about ISAs and we started with in the first place. Um, there is another kind of uh, interesting, uh, but more subtle 
idea related to ISAs that's worth the mentioning, which is an income share agreement doesn't respond well when you're talking about high variance income programs. Uh, what that means is that, you know, if I'm offering an ISA, you know, we cannot fund programs uh, that have low employment rates, right? Whereas in a loan, you know, as long as you have the uh, the right metrics of credit, you know, you, you, you know, you you will get a loan. And the federal government, you know, there are even even less uh, barriers. To to me, what that means is, if somebody is willing to offer an ISA for a program, they are sending a signal that you know there is a high likelihood you're going to get a job from that program, because I'm willing to make a bet that you know you will do well from this program. So there is a signaling effect that. You know, I don't know uh, how many people think about, but I think it's an important one because essentially someone, either the school or another investor, is willing to bind their fate with the outcomes of the program. Uh, and that says something about the program. And a, another kind of uh, related issue is uh, we have heard kind of folks talk about, well, an ISA is great if you have a really high paying job. And and that is not quite right. Um, so, for example, some some of the criticisms of ISAs has been that you can only fund either engineers or you know MBAs or whatnot. Uh, and the fact is that you can create an, an a, a viable ISA program, given that there's a funder uh, for any program with you know reasonably moderate levels of income. So, you know, um, for example, we have funded HVAC technicians or electricians. Uh, we don't need to fund coding bootcamp. Uh, or, or programming, or or technology, um, and I think what's important there to understand is like income share agreements. You can you can kind of work around some level of average income, where I think ISAs uh, have a hard time justifying the economics is again the likelihood of getting a job. So it's the variance of income that ISAs are more sensitive to, which means that it's uh, harder for somebody to fund a program which has low placement rate. But you can fund a program which has a low average income, because you can you can you can price around that. What you cannot price around is uncertainty. Mm -hmm. So so you can actually fund a number of vocational programs. We have seen vocational programs, diesel mechanics. We have seen uh, welding. We have seen HVAC technicians. Then we have seen coding. You know, we have seen nursing being funded with ISAs. And all of the commonalities, it's not that they have the same average income. The commonality is that they have very high likelihood of getting a job, which is another signal for somebody who's saying, well, if this program has an ISA, somebody is making a bet that the, the outcomes are going to be good from a employment perspective. What that means is ISAs are not necessarily perfect for every kind of educational uh, opportunity that somebody's looking for, but it, it is a reasonably well-defined option for somebody looking for, well, is this going to get me a job? And what is the signal for that? Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. I mean, that's just... I know just because I like listen to like the free economics podcast a lot and they talk a lot about like incentives and, you know, I start to see that a lot uh, just in the world as I observe it. And then just... Uh, yeah, that idea is like, you know, from an economic perspective, uncertainty is the enemy. Like if you have a certain level of predictability with, uh, you know, even, even if like work is seasonal, you know, and different things like that, it's like, well, it's a pretty predictable rotation of, you know, kind of the ups and downs and all that. And we can plan accordingly. Um, so that idea of getting federal student loans, which on one hand, it's like, it's fair in the sense that, yeah, like pretty much anybody can get them. You know, there is like a limit on how much you can get, but uh, kind of open to all. And that can be a uh, readily available funding source, but um, yeah, there's no checks and balances on 
how much anybody should take and, you know, the, their program of study and kind of the return uh, to be able to repay that amount and everything. So, um, yeah, very, very, very well put. Um, so I guess just to really put like a finer bow on this, I mean, how do you see this work benefiting both the students and the institutions? Because I think there's kind of a clear case uh, in terms of kind of uh, having it be compelling for both of those constituents. But um, just curious, maybe how, how you see it, how, how you put it together. Absolutely. Uh, I think, you know, as I said before, right, this this option enables a, a, a broader range of students uh, to get support, uh, financial support to, to get an education, to complete their education. And this is a non-loan format. So, you know, from the perspective of uh, taking on education, which is a product where you don't necessarily get the final outcome, which is employment and income, until some time, and that's uncertain, you know, you're now, you know, in accounting parlance, balancing, you know, liabilities and assets in the sense that, you know, if if you don't get a job, you don't make the payments. If you get a job, high enough income, you make the payments, which is, uh, uh, quite frankly, kind of uh, uh, mitigating a lot of the risk that a student takes on by taking on a ton of loan, right? Uh, whereas if you take a straight up loan, you owe that amount or it keeps accruing interest and, and just adds on to the principal. Um, so from a student's perspective, it really de-risks the notion of education. Uh, and, and certainly some people would argue that, well, you know, then you have to worry about adverse selection, moral hazard, and we have ways of dealing with that kind of stuff. But but from a, you know, we, we have uh, in our own investments, you know, we have zero delinquencies at this point. Um, and we have a few students looking for jobs. But uh, in general, our students are able to find jobs. Many of them have paid back early. You know, a lot of them come back and help out with future generations of students by mentoring them or, you know, working with us on webinars and things like that on our talent accelerator platform. So they do feel like they have been treated well. Um, students, uh, so, so and you know, obviously I'm, I'm, I'm also now talking holistically about the work that MentorWorks does. Uh, you know, again, students uh, usually are uh, at this stage pretty anxious about you know what they're getting into, their the 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 value of the product, and so you know we, we take a lot of put in a lot of effort for transparency uh, and 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 such. So uh, and then going on to the institutional side, institutions, you know, I think we'll all agree that there is a. A uh, fundamental issue with higher education, how it's uh, financed, how incentives are set up. Um, and so you can have institutions, you know, suffering for enrollment where there are great uh, programs and some great faculty. And then there are other institutions who perhaps are great at marketing, but not so much at placement, you know, where students can simply go because they can access federal loans. And so the two ways in which this model can really benefit institutions is First of all, by increasing enrollment, because financing begets enrollment, right? I mean, if you cannot finance your education, you're not going to get in. The other one um, is it it supports uh, institutions that are able to get higher employment uh, uh, likelihood. So it it, it helps creating a, a, a separation uh, and helps institutions with better outcomes get more enrollment. Uh, and, and that's, I believe that's the way it should be because students are better off going to institutions where, especially for programs where looking for an end job, you're more likely to get a job. So, uh, it, you know, students are kind of then able to access higher quality program because we will only invest in higher quality program as defined by 
the likelihood of finding a job. If your end goal is not finding a job, then perhaps an ISA is not the best financing option for you. And maybe you should be looking for something else. But for those majority of students that are looking for employment at the end of the day, this allows those students to find those institutions which we believe are higher quality institutions and we are to, willing to take the risk there and those institutions to find those students. So it's a two-sided benefit. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what I saw as well. I just kind of wanted to, you know, hear it put in your own words. And I think, uh, yeah, I mean, it's hugely compelling in the way that like, you know, a student can have that barrier again, you know, you can get federal student loans pretty readily, but like be in such a better position to, uh, remove that barrier financials, be supported through to their graduation so that, you know, all that time and effort and that financial investment, uh, even though, you know, through an income share agreement kind of coming uh, through like a different pipeline, like it is just worthwhile. Cause obviously there's so many students out there, uh, as the financials kind of get all out of sync or out of whack for any number of reasons, like they just have some college and uh, a bunch of debt, you know? Uh, so this sort of approach helping to, you know, hopefully avoid that and uh, alleviate that concern for any student is just, I think, such a great approach. And I know, um, yeah, would resonate with the students who are pursuing their higher education and also the institutions that are enrolling them so that they can just have that pathway that is going to be uh, just smoother for the student to be able to focus on their studies and yeah. uh, prepare for uh, their career afterward. So, you know, one thing I would add to that is also that um, this financing option also facilitates other types of educational opportunities. So, you know, we were talking about vocational programs. Uh, we we're talking about short-term skills-based programs. So it, it certainly can be a useful option for a primary, uh, the first time you're getting an education. It can be a useful option if you want to get alternative types of education where perhaps federal funding is not available. And it can also be a great option for scaling up. So we've seen a lot of folks um, in that space, people who have large jobs and are trying to scale up you know, get a short-term certificate and then uh, find their next uh, employment, this is a great option for them as well. Yeah. I mean, because that's certainly a, a tough position to be in. If you know that, you know, maybe you just got furloughed or lost your job and you don't have the financial resources to invest or even take on loans, doing something that, you know, is going to lead to uh, gainful employment and, you know, you know, using something like an ISA to do that, you know, even for something that's comparatively lower cost to a four-year degree or something, I'm just speaking for myself, something like that would be like a very intriguing option. I'd be like, oh yeah, you know, maybe I'd pursue a certificate, you know, out of pocket because I don't have an employer to pay for it or any of those sort of things to, you know, help me get to my uh, next opportunity. So um, yeah, I appreciate you uh, making that point. So as you all have immersed yourself in sort of this uh, financial technology uh, world within the higher education space and uh, kind of the continuing and professional education space as well. Um, what do you see on the horizon relevant to this topic? Obviously, there's been a lot of disruptions just in terms of how people study uh, over the past year um, and maybe what are uh, perhaps some of the more like in-demand uh, careers and different things like that or like the interest maybe from partners, uh, you know, in your organization. But yeah, just what, what, do you, what do you see on the horizon? Kind of open-ended, broad question, just however you want to take it. I guess there are a few different uh, parts to this answer, right? One is, uh, in general, where is higher education headed? That's as big a question as you can ask. And I'll try to kind of get, get my hands around it a little bit, uh, which is that there seems to be an increasing interest in the kind of skills-based programs that we just talked about, right? Um, and it could be somebody who uh, has already taken up a traditional four-year college degree uh, and who's looking to kind of add that 
uh, last milestone of uh, skills. It could be somebody who just got laid off and are looking to scale up and, and trying to find a job. And what we are certainly seeing is it's it's funny because it's not just one-off private players that are trying to do this now. It's it's even accredited institutions that are getting into this uh, space, uh, either with uh, private partners or by themselves. So we will see a larger uh, um, amount of availability of such programs. Um, and, you know, given... The given that ISAs can be a really good uh, uh, option for those kind of schools, I think we'll also see a larger amount of uptake on the ISA side as a result of that. I think um, certainly people have talked about the potential demise of a lot of uh, schools that are you know smaller and maybe not have enough enrollments. And I think uh, there's going to have to be a clear understanding of, well, where is it uh, that that these educational institutions needs to improve. And my personal take on it is, you know, it's about the jobs and it's about getting people closer to a job. So uh, if you cannot speak to that, you know, I think more and more people are going to uh, have, have issues with that. Uh, on, 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 the, on the fintech and the finance side, you know, certainly there's, there's more investment that is interested in this opportunity, both regular institutional dollars, but also we're seeing an, an increasing amount of, impact and and by that i mean concessionary impact uh dollars getting really interested in funding these type of programs and you know we have some of our investors who are uh, uh who are impact investors who want to see uh, significant uh impact based outcomes for underserved uh students low income students minority students and that's that's been a a big push and i think traditional institutions uh, traditional institutions of higher education have to address how they're going to increase the diversity of their programs um, given you know the cost of their programs so you know employers are looking for diversity as a practical matter we have employer partners who have asked who have asked us about hey you know we really want to ramp up the uh, diversity of our programs uh, in fact I think I heard a term today which 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 is new to me I think it was somebody said it's neural diversity which is kind of interesting you know uh, people who think differently mm -hmm. so obviously uh, there's a there's an increasing demand for that but the fact is these people need to get trained first they need to get skilled first before they can actually enter the job pool and it's it's not a single problem it's a combination of problems so so financing is related to education is related to employment um, so you know I, I think thinking about these problems holistically which is what we have done at mentorworks is going to be incredibly important uh, as we approach uh, the next generation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because it's definitely a lot of that uh, talk in education of like, you know, um, you know, th there's a lot of emphasis right now around, uh, you know, career outcomes for students, which I, th I do think is really important because that's what enables you to be able to live the life of your dreams, you know, is have those financial resources, be gainfully employed. And I think some people push back on that, that it, like, you know, we should be trying to educate the whole person and all that. And I think those things aren't mutually exclusive. And I think, you know, that idea of being able to have impact and show that like, wow, we've, you know, increased this person's income, you know, by leaps and bounds and all that and done it in a way that, you know, sort of sustainable for them and not being kind of uh, eclipsed by their debt. You know, yeah. I mean, and just the idea that like that is increasingly happening through, uh, skills. I think, you know, there's still a lot of value in the bachelor's degree. And I think that that's something that uh, people still will want to work towards, you know, it's a dream for a lot of people, but certainly 
getting there can mean like, okay, well, I'm like stacking, you know, different skills and certificates towards a bachelor's or something like that. Like there's just gonna be so many other pathways towards that. And I uh, think about different funding uh, mechanisms to help people along with that, whether that's employer funding or things like ISAs and, you know, exactly what you all are doing. So yeah, a lot to think about. Uh, you know, I really appreciate you kind of laying everything out here. Um, we always like to make sure that folks have a lot to uh, dig in with if they want to explore this topic further. Um, so any resources you want to share, books, podcasts, articles, uh, certainly we'll have ways to, uh, you know, connect with you and uh, the work that you all are doing there at MentorWorks, but uh, anything else that you would uh, like to share? Yeah, happy to. I mean, uh, anybody can go to our website, uh, mentorworks.com, and go to our blog page. Uh, We have a number of articles that we have written on everything from career search, uh, networking, and all that good stuff, all the way to how how to finance a a higher education, uh, different kind of skills-based programs. Uh, We also have, uh, you know, uh, uh, simple explanatory pieces on what is an income share agreement and and how to you know how to address education finance with alternative financing options uh, how to think about your fafsa things like that so anybody who's interested more than welcome you know feel free to reach out to us our talent accelerator pr- platform is a, a comprehensive careers platform which is uh, basically right now free to anybody who wants to sign up so they could just sign up and utilize our platform uh, to their benefit uh, and and we can certainly uh, fund anybody who's interested in uh, educational programs that we work with. So uh, we have those resources and we hope that people can uh, benefit from them. Well, then uh, we can wrap up the, you know, always uh, like to hear final thoughts, calls to action on this topic, anything that you'd want to close out the episode with uh, as we uh, wind down here. Yeah, I, you know, I think, uh, uh, so first of all, uh, thank you for the opportunity. It's It's been really great talking to you. Um, and we, I hope that you and your listeners get a lot out of this. As a young company, as a company in a highly regulated space, you know, we're always looking for, to work with regulators, to work with partners who are always interested uh, in higher education, uh, in uh, skills-based employment and such. Um, you know, to that end, I think uh, we need to think harder about how that combination of uh, financing, education, and employment works together. I know there's a lot of wonderful initiatives that are happening out, out there, but it needs partnership uh, from regulators, from, you know, the government, but also the private sector. Um, and we are certainly working to uh, get, uh, be part of those initiatives as, as well. So, you know, I think, uh, and, and as a practical matter, the federal income-driven repayment program is actually really very much an ISA program. It's got $500 billion outstanding. It's got uh, 8 million students in, in the IDR program. So this is not a new concept, but, you know, there's a lot of uh, uh, regulatory aspects which are not yet set up for income share agreements. And I think we would love to work uh, with uh, regulators on that. Uh, more more work needs to be done on that, certainly. That is an important point is that this is like a little bit of like the Wild West of like, you know, doing funding at this sort of level. That's not, you know, a federal loan that's been around for a long time and, you know, yeah, highly regulated and, you know, uh, trying to chart out a path to make sure that. Yeah, I guess people understand that. It's, it's, it's similar. It's not wildly different from things that have existed before and p- people are familiar with and comfortable with. And um, it's just kind of doing it a different way. And especially your all's methodology, um, I think, is kind of the, the way of the future that hopefully will distinguish ISAs as something uh, 
sort of that plus one, you know, uh, something that already exists and just kind of upgrading it and making sure that uh, the investment that's being made in students is, uh, you know, worth their time and their effort. And yeah, I mean, so I just really appreciate, uh, again, the work that you all are doing, you, you taking the time and sharing all that you did. And uh, again, we'll have ways to connect with uh uh, everything we mentioned in this episode in these show notes as usual. Uh, but j- just thank you so much, Karthik, for uh, taking the time and uh, hanging out for the show. Thank you, Dustin. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast.